Bethany is in James chapter number 1. Say amen. amen. All right. So we're going to read the first 12 verses. Now, I am doing my best. If I've got a New Year's resolution, it is to try to stay around 30 minutes. I'm going to tell you how I've done on that. Um, the first message, I went over two minutes. Okay? The second message, I went over nine minutes. The third message, I went over a minute and a half. So far, I'm not doing too good on, on my resolution, all right? So just bear with me. I, I, I will do my best. Uh, but I, I really would like to get through these first 12 verses tonight, um, mainly because it, it's one thought. I feel like it's one thought tying together. And so let's read them quickly, and uh, then we'll get right into the message tonight. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we do thank you for this day. Thank you for this night. God, we thank you for the good singing that we've heard. God, we thank you for the good testimony that Brother McCauley uh, gave. Lord, we thank you for the update and the information on the ministry that you've called him into. Lord, we pray that you would. Lord, whether this church or others, Lord, would support uh, him, Lord, in this ministry. I ask you, God, that souls would be saved. And I pray that your name would be lifted up and glorified. Lord, we pray that you'd help him and his bride as they travel. God, give them traveling grace and mercies. Lord, the desires of his heart. He mentioned to go see some of these men and their works in their uh, home countries. I pray that you'd provide for those things. Now, we pray that you'd help us tonight as we try to open up your word. I pray that you'd give me wisdom, the things that we've studied this week. I pray that you'd bring those back to my mind. Father, we pray that you'd help us depend on you, not on me, but on you. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in the introduction which we had last week uh, of the series, I gave the theme of the book of James. Um, and, and this could be argued, it kind of depends on where you're looking at James. If you're looking at one chapter or another, you're looking at the whole thing. But uh, as far as, as, as my personal opinion, I think in its entirety, James is dealing with spiritual immaturity. Uh, he deals with that in every chapter, at least. And uh, with that in mind, the book begins with two, and I say 
begins with, and I mean by that chapter number one, he, it begins with two important ideas, testings and temptations. You'll find that both, both of those in chapter number one. And both of those will determine your spiritual maturity level. The, 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 the testings and the temptations. Um, how you endure the testing and how you overcome the temptation will kind of be, will be an evidence of your spiritual maturity or your spiritual immaturity. In the message, I'm going to deal tonight with the testing or the trying of our faith. Um, Warren Wearsby said this. He says, if we are going to turn trials into triumphs, we must obey four imperatives. We read these. He says, count, know, let, and ask. And we find those in these scriptures that we read. So with this thought in mind, I go to our first thought tonight, number one. And this contains in verse number two and verse number three. Uh, I want to read quickly again. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh Patience. So there's a short phrase here that that reads, when ye. So look at it again. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. So this little phrase is just two words put together. It indicates that we will encounter some temptations. Now, I've not yet defined the word temptations here yet, so don't jump ahead of me yet. But he says that we will, when ye, when this happens, when you run headlong into these things, he tells us, he gives us some information, and he says that we should do something. We should count it all joy. And so with this thought in mind that there is, number one, a realization of testing, we need to understand that when he uses this phrase, when ye, it does indicate that we will encounter temptations. Christ even warned this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we know that Christ even told his disciples that they are going to have tribulation. They're going to have troubles and trials. We can apply that to our own lives, knowing that we're trusting in the same Christ that they did. We too will have these things. So we need to remember also James's words here. He says in verse number one, he says, I'm speaking to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. There, right there tells us that there's some troubles. They are not just uh, one body of believers. He is not writing to one body of believers, the, the church of such and such. He is writing to the 12 tribes that, you're, that are scattered abroad. He is, he is writing to a people that are oppressed. They have been persecuted. They are not in their homes. They may be in slavery. They could be imprisoned. Uh, they may be free. They may be rich. They may be poor. But he's writing to a broad group of people and and they are going to go through, maybe going through some right now, some tribulations, some trials. Uh, one writer said this, some trials come simply because we are human. We're going to have sickness. We're going to have burdens. We're going to have things that trouble us. But he said other trials come because we are Christians. 
The preacher got up here and he talked about some of those. I believe specifically you mentioned over in India there were some churches that are persecuted. One burned, I believe you said. There are, there are Christians all over the world, not just here. Christianity is not just here in this small community. It is all over the world and persecution is rampant. We don't see it a lot here, but it is everywhere. And being a Christian will invite persecution or will invite trials. But now let's consider, and I'm trying to go quickly, let's consider this word temptation. It is the word trial, and I don't want to try, I I do not intend to correct the King James ever, but I want to make it very clear to you tonight, this is the word trial. And I believe it was, um, I think it was A.T. Robertson that said, whether good or bad, this is a trial that you're going through. There's, there's some trouble that you're having to plod through. My dad has sent me pictures and videos of the snow up in Tennessee. Lydia has sent pictures and videos. Sarah, our cousin, and they're, they're ecstatic about it. And they're, oh, there's nothing better than snow cream and, and you should, you should go sledding it. No, Jack. God knew my heart five years ago when he moved me 300 miles south where it don't snow. Come on. There ain't a, there, there's not a bone in my body that wants to go play in the snow. Not a bone in my body. Every morning my dad said, I wish you were here. I know you'd love it. <laughs> no, I would not. No, sir, I would not. And, and so there are some people that they enjoy the trial of having the snow. But for me, it would be something bad. I would hate every minute of it. You understand that where we lived, we were quite literally in a valley. There was a mountain in our backyard. There was a hill in our front yard. And to get out when it snowed, you walked out or you walked in. We stayed at Mama and Papa's every year because we couldn't get ourselves in or out. I don't like the snow. If it gets below 69, I don't like the cold. I'd soon have... Online services from the beach somewhere. That'd be fine with me in Mexico. Go down with Brother uh, Panama Canal fellow, whatever his name is. Brother Jonathan Williams, where it's 80 degrees. There's trial. This word temptation here, it is the word trial. Whether good or bad, but the strongest concordance says that this is putting to proof. It is proving you. So James says, uh, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse or manifold temptations or provings. Robertson said this, trials rightly faced are harmless. When you go through these testings, they're making you stronger. They are harmless. But he went on to say, but wrongly met, they become temptations to evil. These things that God means for good, if you meet them the wrong way, then the devil can use those to bring a temptation, a solicitation to do sin. As we realize this in our lives, then then we need to do what he says here. We need to count it all joy. This word count is to consider. And again, Robertson says to do it now and once for all. And I love that. He says you need to get to a point in your life where you understand that, number one, you're going to have trials. 
And number two, there's nothing you could do about it. And number three, God's going to be with you every step of the way. Good, bad, hilly, or in the valley. It don't matter if it's through the fire or through the flood. God's going to be there with you. And once and for all, just go ahead and count it all joy. Now, I realize we're human. And we're going to get through one trial, and we're going to breathe a sigh of relief, and then, boom, like a Mack truck, we're going to be hit with another one, and we're going to be fretting. I mean, that's just human nature. But I'm telling you, if spiritually speaking, we can begin to say, God means this for good, what what a mature Christian one day we're going to be. He says, all joy. This, it's not mixed with anything else. It is the word cheerfulness or a calm delight. I, Jonathan Humphrey, my, my brother-in-law, he, on, on the side of the road, his, his car a month ago, his car stopped. Radiator hose. We thought all it was was a radiator hose, so we ordered it. We went by and picked it up, got antifreeze, put it in. And it would not turn. Will it turn over? It wouldn't stop. wouldn't stop. So we went. We got some more water just to make sure wasn't nothing going on. We tried to jump it off, and it just it it was just a mess. We come back. All of the antifreeze was was on the ground, and make it worse, it was coming out of the muffler. And I'm like, I don't know a whole lot about nothing. That ain't right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure antifreeze ain't supposed to come out of the muffler. And I'm sitting there thinking. Bro, I don't know what, listen, uh, we need to call, uh, we, uh, what are we going to do? And he was like, listen, I'm the pastor, and I, I've been preaching for many years, and I'm worried to death. And John's like, listen, God's handled a lot of stuff bigger than this for me. And I'm like, you just need to sit over there and shut up is what you need to do. I think I told you, Kerry, I said, sometimes you just need to have a panic attack and get it over with. And he's sitting over there, and God's got this. You know what he was doing? He was counting, about to run. He was counting it all joy. He had a calm delight. He said, God's blessed me in the past, and I know that this is nothing new for him. Mm. Then he says this, and I'm not going to get anywhere where I want to get. But he says, knowing this, in verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We're still on number one tonight. He uses the word, James uses this word knowing. And this is a, an experimental knowledge. Brother David uh, brought this up. I don't remember what study it was in Sunday school, but it, it was the word, I think I'm saying it right, gnosko. <clears throat> and it's an experimental knowledge. In other words, it's been put to the test. And so, so you have this knowledge because there's been some experiments made, and now you know the proof. And so, James says, knowing this, what is this? This is the trying of our faith worketh patience. He says, before you can, and and this is backwards. Verse 2 and verse 3 is backwards, it seems. It seems like it would have made more sense to write verse 3 and then get into verse number 2. But that's not the way God had him do it. 
He says, I want you to know this before, really before you can count it all joy. He says, the reason that we can do that is because we, him, James, he says, I have seen God at work. I have seen God do things. I have seen him perfect some things in my life. He uses this. He says, I have seen my faith working patience. He says the trying or the proving of our faith has a purpose. The word worketh, it is an accomplishment. The proving will work successfully and thoroughly, Marvin Vincent says. This testing, what does he say? The trying, the testing of your faith, he says it will, it will work successfully and thoroughly. God's not going to allow this test to go so far and stop without fully accomplishing His will and desire. The trying of your faith has a purpose. A.T. Robertson said this word worketh, it means to work on to the finish. Brother Justin Pratt up in Tennessee years ago, probably, goodness Probably 20 years ago now, I remember seeing him at a little church in, in some part of Knoxville. And he's, he's, he uses these big words. He still does. And I don't understand half of what he said. But he, he said that when he got saved, and I've given you this before, he said when he got saved, he said his eternity changed. And we understand that. Because we had an eternity in hell. And we got saved, and then our eternity changed. It, it, uh, the, the, the destination changed. He said, but that was a, a point in his life, and that was a point linear. He said it, it went from that point in a line outward and upward. And so here, what uh, A.T. Robertson said, he says that this word worketh, he's going to work on to the finish. So the time that you got saved, God through the Holy Ghost is going to work in our faith until the day that we get to glory. Until the finish. He says, it's going to produce or worketh patience. This is staying power. One writer said, the perseverance which does not falter under suffering. It does not falter under suffering. I wanted to get over there just to show you how smart Brother Jody was. I don't remember where it's at, but I'm going to give you this. In verse number 12, there's the word endureth. And last night, Brother Jody spoke at the men's meeting, and he defined it like this. I don't know where he got it. I didn't ask. I just wrote it down. He said in verse number 12, we're referring back now to verse number 3, worketh patience. He says the word endureth means to suffer something painful patiently. Or, he gave another definition, sustain without impairment or yielding. That's what this word enduring or endureth means there in verse number 12. So as we look at the definition of patience, the perseverance which does not falter under suffering, it sounds to me like there is an enduring there. You're going through something that is possibly painful, but yet you're not yielding. You're not being impaired by it. 
you're continuing on. Number two tonight. I still got ten minutes, so I'm going to go. I think. Yeah, it's not in the negative. I'm pretty sure. I've only been up here 20 minutes, right? Okay. Number two, the response to testing. Number one was the realization of testing. Number two tonight is the response to testing. And we see this in verse number four down through verse number eight. Verse number four, but let patience, we just saw this in verse number three, Faith worketh, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But now he says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, this one threw me for a loop, as I was reading this, it, it has for years. I've got notes upon notes here. I, I don't know if you noticed as I was reading it, I've struggled reading it because all my notes are kind of bleeding together there. But he says, For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. He goes on, he says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So, number two, the response to testing. First of all, let me say this. It, it needs to be... The response needs to be hands off and let patience. Robertson says this, carry on the work to the end. Let patience do what she needs to do. Let patience, he says, have her perfect work. Let patience have her perfect work. Now, as as you'll notice as you go through this, you'll find that, that, that if you've got a Schofield Bible, you see that, that, that Schofield makes a note about the word perfect and he says mature. And I think right here we can't really apply that word mature to the first mention of this in verse number 4. But I think we can say that this is a, a pure work. In other words, this is God's plan. This is God's desire. We, we, we gave this word the other day. This is an unadulterated desire from God. Our response of submission, if we're going to let patience have her perfect work, our response of submission is difficult, but it has a purpose. It's hard. And I know, I know some of you are businessmen tonight. It would be hard for you to say, hey, I know you don't know a lot about my business, but I need you to just handle it. I'm going on vacation. Y'all would have a miserable vacation. Because there's work to be done. There's work happening during this trying of your faith. But James says, you need to back up, get yourself off, and let patience have her perfect work. You don't need to bother it. You need to let patience have a perfect work. He says that we may be perfected or that we may be mature. That we may be complete. He says that, uh, that we may be perfect and entire. This is the, this is the complete in all parts or to be perfect in soundness. And then he says that we may have all that God requires in us. 
Look at the last phrase. Wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. Now, I have a confession to make. Verse number 5, I don't think I've ever used it out of context, but I have rarely used it in the context that we read it here tonight. But in studying this, I feel as though, um, let me clarify, I don't think I was wrong in saying if counseling someone, they're trying to make a decision, I say, okay, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we put it in context here, I believe it takes on a whole new meaning and carries a little bit more weight with it. So our response to testing is, one, we need to have hands off and let patients have a way. Our response needs to be submission, but we also must have wisdom. He says that if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So verse number four says that, that we're perfect. This, this is happening so that we may be perfect, that we may be entire, that we may be found wanting nothing. Then he says, but if you find yourself lacking in wisdom, why would we need wisdom? Because we've, we're falling into diverse temptation. Because we're in testing. Because we're human. Because we're men and women. Because we can make the wrong decisions. Because we can say, let me take the wheel. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and shall be given him. So, as you enter testing, as patience is working in you, as you're growing in your faith, you must have wisdom. But here it is, you must seek wisdom. I think probably one of the most wise things that you can do is seek wisdom. Seek more wisdom. If you want to be wise, seek wisdom. Lori, on the way to church, she was talking about a young man in one of her music classes and how that he thinks he knows everything. And... Um, i got to make sure I don't dig myself a hole that I have to explain to my wife after church when you tell her what I said. This young man thinks that he knows everything about music. And apparently he does not. And the time that I've been around this young man, I feel, though I don't know everything about music, I feel it's evident that he doesn't either. But he doesn't know that. Or at least he doesn't admit that. So what would be the wise thing for this young man to do is instead of asserting himself as wise in this particular situation is always seek wisdom. Always try to learn. Never try to put himself out there and say, I've got this. I know all about it. We need to seek wisdom. He, I feel like it's interesting that the word lack here in verse number five is the same word as wanting in verse number four. So it leads us to believe that if there is a necessity of wisdom, if there is a shortage of wisdom in our account, 
then we need to ask God. But brother David, you're, you, you understand numbers and, and you understand finances in a way that I don't. And as I'm looking at this, I, I, I'm told by the smart people that this word lack and wanting is a financial term here. But notice what he says here. If any of you lack wisdom, let him, he does not say ask God. He says ask of God. So it seems to me that James is acknowledging that this is a kind of a picture of a financial transaction that says if your account is low, Ask God whose account is high and borrow from that account. And he will, he says, give you liberally and then upbraideth not. And God will, in doing that, he will freely give this to you with no hesitation and no gritted teeth. I've always said that this word upbraideth not, it means that God's not going to hold anything back. He's not going to, he's not going to withhold anything. He's not going to have any hesitation. And all of that's true. But I was reading after someone, I just don't remember who it was, but he, he used, used this phrase that God is not going to give it to you with his, his jaw clenched and him saying, here, take it. And that pricked my heart. Because how many times has my kids just kept on, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I? And I just get tired of it. And say, here, just take it. But not one time. Not one time. If you ask God for wisdom, will He ever say, here, take it. But instead, He'll give it freely with no hesitation. And He'll give it liberally. And then last, in these last few seconds, there is a warning about our response. Still in number two, he says in verse number six and seven, in verse number eight, I'll not read it again, but if you are wavering, the gist of this is you do not have faith. Verse number seven, I, I kind of kind of illustrated that, that this one kind of gripped my heart. For let not that man, what man? That, that man over in verse number six that, that is wavering. That man in verse number six that's like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He says, if that man that's asking God, but yet he's tossed and, and he's driven and he's up and he's down and he's in and he's out. Verse number seven says, that man doesn't need to expect anything from God. That's hard for us to swallow. In our little sissy New Testament churches. Because we want to pat everybody on the back and rub one another's hands and think, oh, it's okay. Everybody's going to get something from God. There may be some truth in that. But according to James here, he says, if, 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 if you don't have this faith and you're wavering, he says, you're not going to receive. Matter of fact, he says, receive anything of the Lord. Then he goes on in verse number 8. He says, use this word double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable. I believe it's Joseph Benson said this. He says this is two souls. And he gave this quote. He says it's two souls whose heart is divided between God and the world. And is not simply given up to him, nor entirely confides in him for the direction 
aid and support which he stands in need of. He's going to God and saying, God, I need this, but he's over here trying to get it himself. He's he's saying, God, I, I'm going to lay this burden down with you. But then he's talking to everybody else and he's trying to lay it down. I was talking to two different preachers this week. One's carrying a heavy burden. He doesn't know what to do. And he is talking to another preacher. And we all three are talking together about this situation, trying to help him. And he said, one thing that I know, and, and this preacher mentioned this Verse number five. And he says, I've learned this being in the ministry. He says, I can make this mistake and I've testified of this myself. If I'm not careful, God will put a burden on me and I'll start asking everybody else instead of asking God. And I'll have everybody else's opinions on what to do. And I'll go with this person's opinion until I get the next. And then I go with their opinion. And then the next. And then when it comes time to make the decision... I'm no better off than I was at the beginning. They're unstable in all their ways. Joseph Benson also said this about this being unstable. He says, being without the true wisdom, he perpetually disagrees both with himself and others. He can't can't find solid ground anywhere. Everywhere he looks, it's as if, Something is, is against him. A double-minded man. This man with two souls, if you will. I, I, I thought about this. I didn't write it down. But I thought about the fact that, that, that the Scripture teaches us about no man can love two masters. Because he loves one and hates the other. Ties so well in with this double-minded man. One, I, I believe it was Warren Wearsby even wrote over in... Uh, chapter number four, he mentioned that this may even have something to do with with a husband and wife relationship, and how that maybe a man maybe had some sort of a, a relationship with another woman, and so this double minded man was he was looking at his wife, but he was also looking at someone else, and he was unstable. He didn't know who to love, so. Here, and we'll get to chapter number four about four or five years, I reckon. But tonight, we see some testings. I hope, Lord willing, we may, I don't know if we'll do this next Wednesday night or maybe jump in on Sunday night, but we have the remedy of testing in verses 9 through 11 and then the result of testing in verse number 12. And so I'm, I'm excited about getting through this, but I don't want to, uh, to keep you... Uh, all night on Wednesday night after you've labored and everything else. So I appreciate you being here.